This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join in on the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode or any other, please join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. This is Manny Cotto, executive producer of Star Trek Enterprise. You're listening to Warp 5 on Trek FM. to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to Star Trek Enterprise. I am your host, Patrick Devlin, and joined with me is the great Brandon Shamatala. Brandon, how are you? Well, I guess I'm happy to be podcasting with you here. It's been a while since we've podcasted together, and uh, I gotta say, you're a lot uglier than the last time I thought. <laughs> okay, so let me explain what happened last episode. Uh, so when you did that, I thought of this episode we were doing and how later on we're going to see that Trip tries to get her to admit that she she thought about him in her dying moments and she doesn't. Yes. So that's that's why I didn't know what to say last time because I was totally confused. Yeah, but now you know like you you're really an arrogant swine and uh, and you're pretty ugly. Yeah, it, it, well, you know. Things happen in life. There's a reason I'm being so insulting, listeners. You'll find out in a second. <laughs> I'm not just a douche. <laughs> just insulting me is not what we're talking about here today. <laughs> we're talking about the Andorians. Yes, No, not exactly. the Andorians. The Tellerites. Sorry. Oh, my goodness. The Tellerites. We're talking about the Tellerites today. <laughs> and the Andorians, in And fact. the Andorians, yes. And the Romulans. Yes. And the Enar. But, so now, he doesn't respect me anymore because I didn't answer him in kind. But... Yes, I know. Uh, I'm offended. Exactly. Come on, insult um, me. Come on, give me one. Give me one. Give me one. It, do, it doesn't work. I'm not good. I'm not good off the. All right, you just suck, though. But <laughs> if you think <laughs> if you think I'm not handsome, you should really check a mirror. And if you don't like it, you can go podcast on another ship. Fine, I will, and I'll All eat right. your dog too. No, I, no, <laughs> dog eater. So, uh, in case you haven't noticed, we are going to be doing the retrospective, continuing our retrospective on Season 4, and we are going to do Babel 1, United, and Enar, uh, which is some of the best episodes in Season 4, if not the best episodes of Season 4, in my opinion. No, they're not the best episodes in Season 4. No, you don't think so? Observer Effect. Episodes, not episode. Observer Effect, Observer Effect, and Observer Effect. <laughs> okay. Well, in a block of an actual three different episodes, I think this might be the best block. They're good. They're really good episodes. Yeah, I like them. They are. Uh, so Yeah, I don't know. I think that, absolutely. I love season four. I tweeted out the other day. I'm like, hot take, season four of Enterprise is better than season two of Discovery. Right? I don't know. What do you think? You definitely did uh, tweet that out. So now, <laughs> my, 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 uh, this is you not just... my favorite season. My favorite season, as I've said many times, is season three. Mm-hmm. However, I think that this season... All right, let's just be realistic. The reason that is is because of the the reasons we had season three make it better for me than season four. But if I was just to take the blocks of episodes, season four is a better season. Do you think it's better than season two of Discovery? I don't know. We haven't seen the whole thing yet. <laughs> okay. It could be. I, I mean, love season two of Discovery. It's great. I think it's fantastic. So so do I. And and But... Yeah, probably, but I want to see. I want to see where we end with this whole discovery thing before I make a judgment on where it ranks. Yes. Okay. 
So, all right, so let's jump into it. The, the first episode we're going to be talking about is Babel 1. Uh, Brandon, what were your thoughts on Babel 1? Um, uh, well, I tweeted you originally, and uh, they cheated. Yeah, yes, they did. They cheated in this episode, and they cheated hard. Now, I just want to get that out of the way, because, you know, when you watch an episode and there's a twist, you should be able to go back and watch the episode again and have that twist make sense, and they should have laid that twist out properly. Now, when I watch these three episodes, I apologize, listeners, I'm going to do the best I can. I normally take notes when I do, when we do these retrospectives, but I, I've been so busy that I had to watch these when I was at the gym on the treadmill. So uh, I, I didn't take any notes. So as I was watching the episode, I tweeted Patrick, or I, I messaged Patrick, and I'm like, can you please, when you watch it, write down the dialogue between the Romulans? And the twist of the episode is that the Romulans are not on the ship. They lead you to believe that they are the whole time, but then they pull that that twist that they aren't there, and that's what the, the to-be-continued is. But if you go back and listen, the first line of dialogue that the Admiral says, you cannot interpret any other way than they are actually on the ship, and that's a big stinker for me. And, you know, it doesn't ruin the episode, but they just didn't do it right. Every other line, when you go back, you can interpret that they're saying it, no, they aren't on the ship, but the first line the Admiral says, you cannot interpret it in any other way. Patrick, can you read it for me? Do you have it there? So the way that conversation goes is, do, do we have the names for these two Romulans? I think, no. for some reason, I didn't catch it, but I think that the, the bounty hunter from X-Files guy, I think his name is Admiral Valdor, okay. which they took from Nemesis because the ship's the Valdor. Right. Oh yes. Right. So they were they were taking a lot, of, but I don't I don't remember them saying it in the episode. So I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that he is Admiral Valdora, and maybe that's from the books as well, because I know uh, Christopher L. Bennett, who wrote the post Enterprise finale novels, this guy comes up again in those books. Right. So yeah, okay, because I didn't know their names. So when I even wrote it to you, I wrote like one two one two. But so I think it was Valdora who goes report, and the other guy says. I've been I have been unable to locate the malfunction, um, and then uh, Valdor says, "Then I suggest you double your efforts. This this is enemy territory. We can't remain here any longer." Yes, for them to say this is enemy territory, the way that that's said, they're on the ship, right? Right. For to where you'd be like, the ship is in enemy territory is what he should have said, and even had they said that. The ship is in enemy territory that wouldn't have tipped their hands. Okay. When you're saying this, you're pointing like you're like this. Correct. You know, if I'm in Mexico, I don't say this is a cold day in Canada. Like you just don't, it, it it's not worded that way. You know, like it's just not worded that way. Right. You wouldn't and say this you... is a cold day talking about Canada while you're standing in Mexico. Right. It wouldn't make sense. Yes. You'd say it's a cold, you know, again, like you said, it doesn't really make sense, and even I mean, even if you make the argument that 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 does sound okay to the ear, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think it does. I think it's just a, a lie to make you not know. Right. But it, again, good writing would give us the the ship is in just because then when you do go back, you realize, oh man, yes, they were telling me this the whole time and I didn't catch it. I'm okay with the twist. Okay, I don't have a problem with the twist. I'm just saying when you, good writing, when you go back on something that has a twist, the the seeds should have been laid throughout. So when you watch it again, they, they it was planned out properly from the beginning. And that one word, you, you automatically associate that they are right there on that ship right now because this is enemy territory. I don't know, but that's, right. a, that's a minor stickler. That's who I am. And I still like the episodes. It doesn't ruin it for me. I just, this is a filmmaking thing. And this is, it just, one, one change of a couple of words could have made it 100% better. But, you know, I'm sure there's people screaming at their iPads saying, get over it right now, but whatever. That's my Probably. first impression. And that's because I tweeted you right away on that. I'm like, Patrick, I need you to do this for me because I'm on the treadmill and I can't write it down. Yeah, yeah, so I had to watch it six times to get all the wording. Thank you. I appreciate you doing the hard work. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so moving on from the one little problem, which I, I do agree with you. I, they, they purposely worded it. And I've said this a million times that I find writers are kind of doing this now. Um, it's a big problem I had with 
the last season, like How I Met Your Mother, and it was some of the problems I had with some of the things that have happened on Discovery. They intentionally lie to you so that they can give you a twist. Mm-hmm. But if those lies didn't add up to the twist, then it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Yeah. This was only one little one, so it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, seven episodes of them lying to me. Yeah, it was all in the same episode, so right. you know, I forget, but it's fine. You know, like and I remember this one because I personally don't like when they do that kind of thing myself. Like I'm okay with the twist, but I don't really like it. Like, you know, Silence of the Lambs they did it. it was, you know, when we studied this in film class, right? Because when Jodie Foster's character is going door to door at the end of the movie and the FBI are about to break into that place. They edit it in a way that makes you think that the FBI are about to break in on, on the bad guy's house. And it's really Jodie Foster. And, you know, so like, it's an interesting twist and a confusing twist that when you watch it again, you see what they're doing. Now, I, I personally don't like that, but that's fine. That's just me, right? It's good. It's good editing and good writing and it works up. It's just a different take on things. So, Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So what else did you like from the episode since we've bashed it now for five minutes? <laughs> it, it's interesting because, you know, uh, um, the the start is really interesting because we, we start the episode with Shran being attacked, right? You know, Correct. and we've got this really in, interesting action scene where they think it's the Tellarites. And I love the buildup because... You know, like this is this is the kind of thing when we talk about fan service being done right when they're going to Babel for this conference, right? Because Babel One was established in TOS, and so obviously this would be a planet that had been used in the past. So I get the impression from this episode this is the first time they've gone there because this is the first type of conference like this. But it does also call back because these are the charter aliens in the Federation, right? The Tellarites and the Andorians and the humans and the Vulcans, right? So for them to go to this they would have to start somewhere to build the Federation. And that's what they're really doing in this episode. Like this sets up the building of the Federation. This sets up Archer as the, as a negotiator who can work with people. Like, yes, we've seen it in the past, but this is really setting up where they wanted to take the rest of the series. And it really makes me sad that we didn't get three more episodes when I see an episode like this, because I would love to see more of the, of the building of the Federation. Like I would be a wonderful Star Trek series, you know, to see. Um, so I really love that. I love the Tellerites in this. I know we've seen them before, but I, I love the Tellarites and how they look in this episode. This is my favorite Tellarite makeup, right? You know, we see them in Discovery now and we saw them in TOS. This is really my favorite. And I know that people like, you know, like Larry David likes the hoofs. I, I don't think that the hoofs make a lot of sense to me. So I like the long thumb and like the fingers that they have. But I, I just love the makeup in the Tellarites. And and whoever came up with the design of them, I just, bravo, bravo. It's it's really, really, really amazing. And I this is my favorite makeup for the Tellarites. I love it a lot. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, they did a great job doing the Tellarites. They did a great job doing the Andorians. I mean, we've seen it now for a couple seasons, but mm-hmm. this Star Trek was the the first Star Trek where they could really do, like, crazy things like the moving antennae, you know, and and you can tell that their makeup artists were the best of the best. I mean, they just did amazing work with all the, the species that they had to mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now with the Tellarites, like, you know, in the original Star Trek series, I, I never got the impression that, that the Tellarites as a species were aggressive and confrontational. I just got it that it was that one, um, that one ambassador in that episode. Right. But, you know, in the novels, they really kind of go with it that that's a trait of the species that they like to argue that, you know, and that's, that's like a cultural thing. And I think that's something that they took from the, more from the novels and put in this episode. So that first scene when Hoshi's getting mad at Archer, do you remember the first time you watched it? Because the first time that I saw it, I knew what they were going immediately. I knew what they were doing because they established that the Tellarites were going to be in this episode. As soon as Hoshi was yelling at Archer, I knew that she was coaching him on how to interact with Tellarites. Did you know, or did it throw you off? No, I did not. It actually surprised me. Um, I don't know if I knew, if I realized that Tellarites were going to be there. And as I've said before, like my, the series I have the least knowledge of is, is TOS. Okay. And uh, so, you know, I I was younger then. I was still an adult when, by the time this came out, but I don't think I put one and one together and I was like, what is going on? And then when they said it, it's like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I don't know that we we haven't had the Tellarites much before this. I think I think they saw them once in bounty. Season, 
right? Yeah. I think Bounty. And then even in Bounty, I don't think it was supposed to be Tellarites, so they weren't really Tellarites at that time. You know, like, because they, they decided at the last minute to replace whatever new Right, right. Pieces. It wasn't written truly Tellarite-ish. Yeah. So this is where we kind of get what that these were supposed to be Tellarites. But um, anyways, no, I, I like that a lot. I think it's it's fun. I think it's it's tying in the expanded universe of Star Trek. I could be wrong. That could have been the intention the whole time, and I just don't know. But to me, I get more of the impression that the Tellarites are... Are confrontational from the the, the novels, specifically De Candido's Keith De Candido's um, SCE novellas, because uh, there's a I think it, at I don't know halfway through the run of the books they get a Tellerite first officer and he's really confrontational and and gotcha. you know so that causes conflict on the ships and whatnot. But anyway. yeah, I didn't keep up with the books, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I like the fact that they're just confrontational. I mean, I, I like the way they were written for this episode. So yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I like that you brought up Hoshi, and um, I love that the end. She's like, I wasn't kidding, and he's like, You think he's mangy? And she's like, No, they're gonna eat him. <laughs> <laughs> they eat a lot of food. So, yeah, but it's it's they, funny because you get those people who just want to find problem with everything. Where you know, oh, this looks like the most wonderful Tellarite food, and he gets mad, and he's like, You think I wanted to eat like this? I would have stayed on Tellar. Yeah, <laughs> I stayed home. I wanted to have Earth cuisine. Yes, I'll have them whip you something up. But everybody knows that guy, right? Like everyone knows somebody who just constantly complains about something. And if you're listening right now and you don't know someone who just complains all day long, then let me introduce that you to Patrick. Person. Yeah, well, I do. I, but I, I know that. But if you don't know that person, you're that person. Everyone <laughs> listening that knows you right now is saying, "Oh, that's that guy." Yes. That's funny. Now, let me ask you this question. I want to ask you. Had they had a meal for the Tellarites the next day, and it was breakfast time, do you think that Archer should have served them bacon? (laughs) Yes! Yes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely should have. Bacon and eggs. (laughs) Okay, so this is a gross story, and I may have to cut it out, but um, my my sister's friend had a little baby pot-bellied pig thing, a little miniature pig. Mm-hmm. And one day she dropped bacon on the floor and then fed the the pig bacon for the rest of its life. Oh, dear. Yeah, because it loved bacon. Well, bacon's pretty good, man. <laughs> I don't blame the pig. The bacon's good. <laughs> so, I don't understand so, people who have pigs for pet. That's just strange to me. How about the fact that I live in New York City and they had a pig for a pet? Yeah, that's kind of odd. Do they walk it? I guess. I don't really know how that worked. Does it talk? Is it confrontational? Does it get mad at its owner and call him a... It, did, it would run and headbutt things. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> and, and, and it wanted bacon. I don't want a bacon. Excellent. Um, okay, yeah, so it's tough because I did watch these three episodes pretty close together, so I don't know where, where the transition... What else is in season in episode one? Because Well, episode one, at the very end, we find out they show us Romulus and they show us them going to that building and that's where the pilot is oh yes i love the i love the callback to nemesis because that reverse shot is like the opposite shot of the first shot of nemesis right because that's like the same building in nemesis when they're going into romulus right so i really love that reveal and this was fresh off the heels well not fresh off the heels about a a year and a couple months later or or about a year later from nemesis but but um, pretty fresh in our minds yeah and i i love the callbacks to nemesis in this you know while nemesis may not be the best next generation movie uh i i love that they've got remans in this i love that they've got that callback you know it's really neat to see and anybody that had seen nemesis would catch that right away and know exactly where they are when that reveal happens and when they pull out. And I also think episode one is the first hints we have that this is a, I don't know if they say it in this episode or the next, but they're getting the hints that this thing can change its form. I don't think they know it's a hologram yet. Um, I think that's more in the next episode than in this one. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. But I think we, cause in this episode, the, we pick up Shran, right? And then they, they get attacked by what appears to be an Andorian ship. Yes. And then don't they chase it and find it is some other ship at that point? No, maybe not. Yeah, that's all in the second. I think they get attacked by it in the first one. They get attacked by the Andorian ship in the first one. But it's the second episode that they start figuring out that it's a, a holographic ship because uh, at the start of the second one, the Enterprise... 
Oh right, yes, I'm sorry. So right. in this one, they just kind of mentioned that that they um they shot the weapons of the engines and they weren't there. Yeah, yeah, they don't figure it out. So I think I think it's in the next episode that they figure out it's a hologram. So uh, when that first happened and he shot it, did you think it was a possibility that Shran was giving false information? No, I didn't. Not not on my first watch. I never did because while Shran definitely does look out for himself. Um, I believe he was on that ship and they were attacking him. And I, I knew he was confused even from my first watch. He didn't yeah, understand. I did too. On. I was just wondering what your take was on it. The very first time you saw it. And, yeah. Uh, I think he did a great job of portraying the emotion of actual confusion, you know? Yeah. So, uh, in this episode though, well, in episode one, we get the, um, the Tellarite shoots the, the Andorian woman, right? No, that's in episode two. No, she dies in episode two. Right, but she's okay. she gets shot in episode one. But again, see now, you know, for all those times when we complain about a plot element that we don't like something, like it, you know, if I complain about a plot element in Discovery, I don't like this plot element. I don't like the fact that the the Tellerite shoots. Like I don't like that forced plot element where everybody's getting calmed down, the situation is being resolved, and everybody can see that the situation is getting resolved, and then all of a sudden somebody just grabs a gun and shoots somebody. You know, like I I don't particularly like those types of plot elements. And they bother me, but like, wh- whatever is the Tellerite shoots him and advances the plot more. But to me, when when Archer's talking down Shran, I don't bu- I don't buy that the Andorian would then just provoke the situation again. I don't know. I don't I don't like that type. You of mean the Tellerite? Sorry, the Tellerite would just provoke the situation again by killing somebody. I don't know. I don't either. I think it's ridiculous. Uh, I I, I felt like you said. I felt it was forced just to get to what happens in the next episode, which is great. Right. Right. But there's a better way of doing it, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is because I'm not a writer, but... Yeah. I don't I don't know. I just, I don't like those elements and it just doesn't quite work for me, but but whatever. Like, the trilogy's great. There's It's not perfect, but they, they, these are great. And this is why I don't think that this is the best trilogy in the series or, like, two-parter or anything like that in the series. Like, I think there's a lot of great episodes. Personally, like, some of the standout episodes for me are the one-shots. Like, I love Home. I love Observer Effect. I love uh, Daedalus. Like, like, those are some no, of my favorites. No, I agree. I really like the, the standalones. Mm-hmm. I think the Augment trilogy is better than this. Uh... Right? With, with Brent Spiner. I, it could be. I really enjoy this because, like you said, I think the biggest thing for me is that this really is the beginning of the Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it brings in the Romulans, which I like. So yeah. it gives us a lot. It doesn't throw Klingons at you, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Good. I, I love <laughs> that the Romulans are in this because this is something that the Romulans would do. They wouldn't want to see this type of stability in the Alpha Quadrant. They wouldn't want to see this type of stability between these aliens. I could totally buy that they would provoke this situation. So, Absolutely. like, the, the concept of this trilogy is is spot on, 100%. Perfect for this series. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I really, like I said, I, probably my, one of my favorite trilogies. Uh, and, like, I, I, you know, I like season three better, but... This season had better. This season was better. Mm-hmm. The reason why I like season three better is because of the content of what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll we... move on to United. Yeah, United. So we get the start with the Enterprise. We we get the fake out with the Romulan ship is at the end. It looks like the Enterprise, which I think is a great twist. Right, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, and it comes swooping in when it. When it, it was a really cool scene too. Mm-hmm. It was a good reveal. You know, and uh, and then you know they have then now Enterprise has to explain why it's attacking ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're not like what was the, I can't remember what was the alien race again that they attacked. Do you remember? Because it wasn't Tellerites or Andorians. No, I don't. It was something I else. Write it down. So, but um, yeah, so we get this episode here, and basically the build up in this episode is that Talus is it Talus is that her name or Tanis the uh, the Andorian. Talus. 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 Okay, so Talus ends up dying. You know, I love the interaction with um, with Shran and Talus when she is on the sickbay bed and he's like, you know, and he's trying to make her feel good. And I love his lines where he's like, this 
Dr. Flux just, I think he's secretly in love with you and he can't get yes. I don't I just really like that. I think it's really cute. And, you know, like, obviously that's not what's going on. But I just, I love those lines. I think it's wonderful interaction between him and Talus. And he's trying to reassure her. And, and it's just a very touching moment for me. A very touching moment for Shran. And what's great about it is, like you said, it's obviously what's not going on. So it's obvious that it's not even like that's what Strand believes is going on. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like he's just trying to make her laugh and feel yeah. he's at trying ease. To put her and ease. This is the way he's doing it, and it's very unstrand like to us. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um he gets very strand like again when he d- he demands to kill somebody, but Yeah, with the blood. Did you like that when he put the blood on the Tellerite's hands? Yes. Yeah, it was a kind of an interesting thing because you know that we have that term in our society. You know, the blood will be on your hands, and this he literally puts the blood on this Tellerite's hands, right? Yeah, I I I like that scene because he 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 kind of lulls them into it, talking about well, we take it home. You know, when someone when someone dies away from the home home world or whatever, however he words it, mm-hmm. uh, he goes, "But her blood's on your hands," and basically, you know, that mm-hmm. whole thing happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that leads to the the. What are they called? The Ushan Blah? I don't know. What yeah. are, what, I'm so, I didn't write anything down. Ushan, I'm so Ushan. Sorry. Ushan Bushan. Um, yeah. or, sorry, I'm sorry, listeners, but again, like I said, I was on the treadmill when I had to watch these. Life's hectic for us. We're going to do the best we can getting these episodes out to you. And we definitely know what we're talking about. We just forget terms and we forget names. But... Yeah. So basically, it's their version of a duel. Yes. Which... You know, 10 paces, turn around and shoot. Right. And I, I love so much about this. I love that the weapon that they use is a tool that they would use. It's an ice cutter. Yes. It's just a typical tool that somebody would use. But it, it, this this whole history, like, there's, I would love to get, like, a short story or a short trek that's, like, them coming up with the, the rules for this this duel, right? You know, like, it's a, it's a type of a tool... The, and the kids play with them as a young, a young age, right? So you know, yeah. He said since he was ten, he's been, kids as young as ten been playing or whatever. Yeah, playing with it since he's ten. Yeah, but he says he's kept this one around forever. I want to ask: when the ship's blown up and Archer beams them over, he had time to go to his quarters and grab this thing before yeah, the ship was a little weird, right? Anyways, whatever. The it's... only the only possibility is that he had like an emergency leave bag or something that he was trying to get off the ship. He keeps. He just takes it with him to the bridge, just in case every time. No, but that's the only possibility. Okay. I mean, it's ridiculous, but that's the only possibility. Oh, when he's sharpening that thing, hey, that sound. Oh, the. Sh- oh, sh- that just grates me because you know how sharp that thing is, hey. Oh, I just. Right. Love it. But, <laughs> but then they got that thing where the rope and they're tied to each other. Yeah, uh, right? yeah. With this, it's well, they have like two. Gauntlets Gloves. almost, right? Like the front end gaunt the front side of the gauntlet, mm-hmm. and they're connected with a steel cable. Mm-hmm. So they can only get so many feet away, which is awesome because when the fight scene happens, like the first thing he does is just yank on that thing and flip them over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right off the start. Because, you know, he obviously knows the rules of this thing, so uh he he knows how to fight. He's probably done it before. Or he's probably. definitely witnessed one before. Yeah, definitely. So what did you think, speaking, you keep saying the rules, and that was one of my favorite parts of this episode is them trying to find a loophole in the rules, right? Yes. And they can't, and finally, uh, Mayweather says, well, how do you win? Right. I love that line. Why don't we, instead of focusing on how to get him out of this, why don't we focus on how to get him to win? I love yes. that. And again, this what's really great about this is I love seeing him and Hoshi together. Right, because again, two characters that were underutilized working together, you know, and this is such a, a Mayweather moment when he's like, "I can't sleep." He's just too tight. He's too wired to sleep, and he's like, "Well, two eyes are better than one." I love Mayweather because he's so positive and he's yes. so helpful, and you know, honestly, like he's one of the people that I wish I could be more like in my life. I wish I could be that helpful. I wish I could be that positive, and I try, but I live in a union environment. Wow. Yeah, I know you're a union man too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you could quit. I could, but, you know, I, I like my job. Just that Mayweather did. Union environments do not breed cooperation at all. I don't know. They, they like, to me, they're, they're like, union environments breed, like, I'm going to do as little as I can, and that's, I'm, I'm a shop steward, and I say that. So. <laughs> oh, God. No, that's not how it is here in New York. So, um, no, but I, I loved it, because we, we do see that, and then they do come up. And we don't know. That's the other thing. 
they don't tell us the way they can get out of it mm-hmm. until they get out of it. Yes. So they, they, with the cut, you kind of think that he actually did kill him. No, oh, yeah, no, he he hacks down as if he was chopping him in the throat. Because that's a commercial break, right? Yep. That's a, that's where they would have had a commercial break back in the day. Kids, back in the day, you used to have to watch the show live, and they would insert and force commercials upon you. Yes, you would have to watch advertisements for things like cola. Cola and deodorant and tampons. Yes. And and dr- and if you were in America, lots and lots of prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, it's probably Tim Hortons. Lots and lots of Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons. Yeah. We have them here now. They're good. Well, now, if only we can, like, impose on your culture with more other things, Canadian. <laughs> we got hockey and Tim Hortons. Isn't that all of Canada? Pretty much. <laughs> you gotta say sorry more often. You're right, but I'm in New York. I mean, they do say sorry in other places. Yeah. Where we're, we're slowly exporting. Like, I bet you in Minnesota they say sorry all the time, right? All the time. All the time. <laughs> they, they, they say it when they don't say it for a while. Because they're sorry they didn't say it for a while. Patrick Carlin, tell us. Do they do they say it in Minnesota? I think you're in Minnesota. Do they say sorry all the time in Minnesota? Are they very Canadian in Minnesota? Is Minnesota well, the, the 11th province of Canada? <laughs> so... Uh, what else can we say about United, not about Canada taking over Minnesota? Uh, well, what else do we have in the episode? So we've got, um, we got the reveal of the Enar at the end. The, yeah. Now, okay. So that's the question. Cause I, I'm not, have, we've never, have we seen, we've never seen Enar before, right? No, they're introduced in this episode. Right. So when we see them, we actually don't know that's what they are, right? No, you're like, dude, that guy needs some sun. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you think it's just, just an Andorian? You're like that. That dude is one pale Andorian. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I. That's what I thought because they weren't in books or anything either, right? No, they were introduced for this. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah I, I really like that. That we end up getting a a sub species of from Andorian, you know, from yeah. Andor. Yeah. So let's move on to the next episode because it, it's just it's just a shock reveal at the end. Yeah, I don't think they say Enar yet, right? They no. just show him. Um, and then at the start of the episode, they say, it's it's interesting because, again, when you rewatch episodes, they talk about how the closest genome is Andorian. And they're talking about the how, how they figured out its telepathic communication. And Shran says, we, we, we messed with this a while ago, but it never went anywhere. Right? And so that that fits into the rest of the story of how it's actually the Enar that are... I'm surprised you didn't think of it at that time because I don't get the impression that Andorians are telepathic in any way, right? So he he should have been able to clue in once they said telepathic ship and um, the, the Andorians... Well, I guess he does. He say, I guess it could be this possibility of the Enar. So he kind of does come to the conclusion pretty quick. He does. There. Plus, he says, like, I can count on, on one hand, I think, the amount of people you know, amount of people who have seen one. Yeah. Now he might not have ever seen one before. Just yeah. he knows about them. Yeah. People talk about them because they've seen, them. I don't know that I really like the Enar as an idea. I think that it should have been a different species. You know, like what, what do you think? Do you like it that it's this subculture of Andorra? I actually did. One thing I don't like about Star Trek, or not, I shouldn't say that I don't like one thing that's a little bit unrealistic to me is that every planet is its own single culture. Mm hmm. So anytime we get something like this, I like it. I like that there's more than one culture. I, I, there's still not, it's still not like Earth, but because they're 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 actually making them a completely different race on the same planet, and that's not realistic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we went over that we with got the, the Zindi, from, right? And we, remember we talked about that with the two from Strange New Worlds and Mike and Elise. Yeah, one would over dominate the other. Mm-hmm. That's just how you know, evolution works. See, I got the impression, maybe I misunderstood something in the episode, but I got the impression that they are Andorians. They're just like genetic offshoots. Like they're albino Andorians kind of thing. You know, there just happen maybe. to be a bunch of them. You might be right. I always saw them as a separate, like he says, subspecies. So yeah, I guess you're right. And mm. I'm wrong. Well, that's that's not the point of what I'm saying. Like, I'm not trying to point out that you're wrong, right? No, no, no. I know, no, I understand, but I'm just saying I, I think you're right, but that's not how I took it. 
Yeah, because I took it as like another species because there are a lot of differences. You know, they have they're blind, they're telepathic, they're white. I mean, yeah, like they, they um they they look like on Earth, like we have humans, right, and then we have Caucasians and we have African Americans and we have you know like Chinese and Japanese and like but they're all humans. Right. And so what I don't like about it is, you know, it's not like Caucasians are one thing and then, you know, Asian people on the earth are telepathic, you know? Yes. So like to me, it's just, it's a different race that's on the planet. So that, so to me, that's why I don't like that. It's the Enar because they're so different. They look exactly like them, but they're different in that they're blind and they're like a, a whole species of blind people. Like the, you don't evolve that way. You don't have eyes. Like no. evolution doesn't work that way. You don't evolve eyes and then just never need them. Like, yes, understand that things maybe become dormant and you don't use them, but that wouldn't happen on, in my opinion, on such a small subsection of the planet, right? Where, you know, they're like, okay, well, maybe they're blind because it's dark down there, but it's not dark. It's bright, you know? Right, so, and then also we find out that all Andorians live underground, right? Right, so I don't know. So just a couple things don't work, and I think it should have been a different alien species. That's all. I mean, it's world building. It just doesn't work for me. That's all. Okay, I hear you. No, I, I like it. I think maybe I saw it as a different species because that kind of fixes that problem in my head. Okay. If I think of it as the same species, then you're right. They shouldn't all be blind. They shouldn't all be white. Like, mm-hmm. And when we land, they could have fixed a lot of this because when we land in there just outside the dampening field they have, right? If they just made it really ridiculously harsher than we've ever seen, then that kind of fixes a lot of the problems. Uh, what do you mean? Well, if if they would have made it like... like it, they kind of just landed on Andoria and that was it. Like... It wasn't like massive blizzards or anything. So that I, you could say to me that this, because I can make an argument that Andoria um, had regular Andorians on it. And a billion years ago, up in this area that's untouched by regular Andorians, mm-hmm. they just evolved separately. Okay. You know, because you'll have, you do have different types of birds, right? And different birds do different things. And some don't fly. And it's because of where they evolved on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, humans have more reach. That's why we kind of all evolve similarly mm-hmm. with differences, if that makes sense. So we don't, so that one's not telepathic. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I guess so. But I mean, like dogs can interbreed. I don't know if birds can. I don't know. We should ask, we should have Mike Wong on for this and Elise. We should have them. Yeah, on we should. This. We should do that. But, but Whatever. If it was really, really harsh up there, you could, I, I could buy that they evolved independently yet similarly. Or but, even if they looked completely different than Andorians, then I'd be okay with it. But to me, the problem maybe is that they just look exactly like Andorians. That's what the problem is to me. Like, I, I, they're kind of like a photo negative. Yeah, like with them being blind, I don't really have a problem with that if they look different. Right? With them being telepathic, I wouldn't have a problem if they look different. Them being white and looking exactly the same, I'm okay with. Because, again, on Earth, we've got many different skin tones on our planet. Right? So that I'm okay with. But with them looking exactly like it, then I have a problem that they've got, oh, they're telepathic and blind. I don't, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I get I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't know. We've kind of harped on that enough. So we've got the, yeah, inner, so- we got the telepathic ship, which... Go ahead. So one of the things I did like, and this is just a minor little detail, is those little, like, I forget what they called them. The worms? <laughs> the little worms mm-hmm. that, that bring heat. The the tequila worms, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was just kind of cool that that's, that, that that's a thing on their planet. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that, that's a way to get heat for a society. Yeah, works for me. And uh, And when she's like, stop. They're coming, and he's like, I don't see anything. And then they all start falling through. That was pretty cool. Because mm-hmm. she's telepathic. Uh, their society looked pretty awesome, but if they're all blind. So, yes, they're all blind, right? He mentions that, and then we see them walking around talking, looking as if they're looking at everything. Yeah, and see, see, my head canon on that is it's got something to do with their telepathy. They can, like, sense where walls are and stuff like that. Which, again, I don't have a problem with that. I, I just have a problem with that they have all that and look exactly like Andorians. No, no, yeah, I get you. <laughs> right? so, uh, I'm just bringing it up because when I said it's... I was watching this this particular episode with my wife, and I'm like, "Yeah, well, they're like they're like Andorians, but they they're blind and they're telepathic." And she goes, "They don't look blind to me." 
Mm. And she's right. They didn't look like the guy in the chair. Yeah. When they show his face, he his eyes are like he almost has like massive glaucoma. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cataracts or something like that, right? Right. And but but everyone else is just kind of looking and looking like they're looking mm. at you when they're talking to you and then they whatever, but um and you don't need lights if everybody's blind. Mhm. Right. Who's yeah. installing electric for lights? Well, they got to have uh electricians, right? You know. Maybe their union's good too, right? Maybe it's just Canada's <laughs> it's union. Possible. <laughs> they got good unions there. Um, now, okay, so I also found it a little bit unbelievable that this telepathy would work that far away for these ships. I don't have a problem with the telepathically controlled ships. Romulus and Remus is not that close. Like, like to be no, but do we know? Okay, so. Yes, I had that feeling too, but do we know, I took it as, the, the he was using his uh, mind to, this helmet, and his helmet was kind of sending it like a subspace transmission. Mm, okay. Okay, you fixed it for me. Perfect. Okay, that's good, fine. I'm glad. Yeah. No. And that's why she could do the same thing in reverse, and they could talk to each other. You just fixed it to me. Thank you. I love it. Cool. That's gone. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Good job, Patrick. <laughs> I did something good today. Yep, no, you just completely fixed it for me. I've always had a problem with that, and that just completely fixed it for me. I love it. I'm Perfect. Done. I'm done. Um, okay, so the only other thing that I want to talk about with is I had a real problem with Trip in this episode. And I wanted to ask what you thought of the interaction with him and Paul because I did not like Trip in this episode at all. So which parts here are we talking So we're talking about the whole thing. So at first he talks about when he thought he was going to die on the... Oh, we didn't even talk about the fact... Oh, geez, yeah, we missed that whole plot. That he was on the other ship <laughs> when it was attacking as the uh, Enterprise, but... Which, yeah, so I'll Trippin, address, um, I love the fact that they did the, uh, with uh, Malcolm's line. Have you ever read the manual on this thing? Right? Yeah. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> when they blow up the phaser, that's great. I love it. Good job, Malcolm. Yes, yeah. Although, the, well, it, I, there's one little problem I have with that scene. Like, he's they're leaving and they're talking about it. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm's obviously talking about something blowing up on the other side of that wall, mm-hmm. and the Romulans don't pick up on it. Stupid Romulans. I guess. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Now you fixed it for me. I don't know. Yeah, because even, I think it's uh, Trip even says they're obviously listening to us. Right. And they were answering. They were answering Yeah, they were talking like, back and forth, yeah. You know, so eh. it's not like, whatever. It was a good effect. Um, okay, so... Okay, I don't know, I, I didn't like, let's talk about Trip and his attitude. Like, he, he's got himself into some kind of depression in this episode. Like, he's clearly spiraling out of control. And I'm, I've interacted with people like this in my life where they're just, they, they're out to be upset, they're out to be offended, and everything that people say to them gets them upset and offended, and they just spiral out of control, and he's got to the point where he's leaving the ship. And I don't know, like, like you could say, well, that's just depression. That's how people work. But to me, it just, it didn't work for his character in this episode here as for how quickly it comes on. Because well, I think that's the problem. There's really no indication of it prior to this. And like, yeah, I think that's the problem. The problem is not necessarily for me. The problem is not that there was depression or that he was spiraling out of control is that we don't have any hints of it earlier. It and was, then it's yeah. just it was it's so out this. of control that he has to leave now. Yeah. Yeah, it was written for this episode. This is something that should have been built up. Like he's just he's just all of a sudden because he had a near death experience, he's now all of a sudden upset that Tapal won't admit her feelings for him. Right. Right. And now look, I can understand how the near death experience triggers that, but this the payoff of him asking to leave should have happened three episodes from now. Yes, he should be grown up enough to talk to her and say, look, I love you. Like, I'm a trip into Paul Shipper. I wanted to see them together, and I'm glad that we got that, right? And I mean, like, fine, that's not drama, and oh, people don't work that way and stuff. But it's like, if he had this experience, she can't, she's, she's, she can't read his mind. She's not Enar, right? So, um... I don't know. He's just all of a sudden upset because he's not getting the answer out of him. And I, he's lived and worked with Vulcans now for almost four years that he, he knows how Vulcans work. 
and you know we we see this in other stuff like i i get i i get upset at that type of writing where they're like oh tapal's just being a vulcan and all of a sudden he's now offended and upset four years later that she's who she is and then he's in a depression and he's out of control because she's not human and, and not telling him that she loves him yeah I- I, I agree. I like look like I said. I don't really dislike the story itself. It's just the timing of mm. how fast it comes about, and the fact that we don't have any build up to it. Yeah, because you could see from the moment he says, "What? What was your? What was the? What were you thinking at the moment you thought you were going to die?" And she's like, "Whether to, um, I don't know, something about the deflector shields. Yeah. Know, transfer power to the deflector shields." And you could see like he's massively crushed, like. Okay, but that in and of itself shouldn't lead to where we are in this time frame. Yeah. Yeah, not in the one episode. Like, I don't know. Because in the previous episode, we had no indication of it. And he's been in near-death situations before, and they've been in Harry's situations before. She even says it. Everyone on Discovery has been in it more than once. Yeah. Yeah, I know you what know, you mean. I don't know. I, I, I did like that they were trying to give us a little bit different side of trip when he's like, you know, I really thought I was going to die. Like, I like that. Yeah, I guess it didn't bother me as much, but I, I, I see your point about the timing is just way too short. Yeah. Even like, I've seen people spiral completely out of control and the way it shows it in this episode, it's like you came here perfectly. Okay. And look, it's not like trip has some kind of ongoing, um, depression issue either yes he's not bipolar you know what i mean like this there's, there's certain conditions that could cause that to happen right but we've not seen that in trip right and i'm gonna tell listeners like i've been in this situation when he's at the end and he's talking to archer and he's like look i should have seen this thing and archer says you're being too hard on yourself i have been in that emotional state myself okay so it's not I'm not saying that people can't get there. I I don't think I suffer from depression, but I have been depressed in my life. And I don't think I, I am too hard on myself, but I have been too hard on myself at points in my life. Okay, so I see these things. And yes, so I don't frequently have these things happen to me. But there's just been no indication of this. It kind of comes out of nowhere. And he just wants to get off this ship. And in my opinion, he's looking for an excuse to get off the ship because he's mad at T'Pol for not expressing her feelings to him, which she will never do because she's a Vulcan. Right. So it just doesn't, it really bothers me. Like this, this plot really bothers me in this episode. So this is, this is why the trilogy on a whole isn't higher up on my rankings is because of this in this episode. That's a shame. I hear you though. I, you know, I never really thought of it. Um, but now thinking about it, I think I saved an episode for you and you ruined one for me. I'm sorry. Well, I didn't intend to ruin it for you. Like, go ahead and like <laughs> it. I don't know. No, but you're right. Because like you said, like I always did see it as like a commentary on depression, but that doesn't really make sense. So listeners, tell us what you think. I mean, like there's people out there that are listening that I'm sure have experienced depression more than I have that know more about depression than I know. And I understand I'm only talking from my experience. And as I said, I have been in the situation trip is in at the end of this, where you just want to give up and just want to give up on everything. I've been there. It just doesn't work for me in the episode. So. Yeah. I think if we had some kind of spattering through the, through the series that he would get to this close to this point a few times it would work better Mm -hmm. or if he had uh, you know if he if he was depressed or manic depressant or bipolar if they'd written that into some parts of his character over time then that makes sense because i've seen people walk into because i know people are thinking to themselves right now you you can meet a person who's extremely depressed and they're fine one minute depressed the next yes but they're clinically depressed Mm -hmm. i don't think trip is clinically depressed and even had they build it up over the three parts Right? If it's something, if they knew that this is how they wanted to end the trilogy to get him off the ship, right? Then even if they built that up over the three episodes, it would have been more okay with me, right? If if this argument with T'Pol had started in the first episode of the trilogy, right? And very and early on in the first episode, I would have been okay with it. It's just because it all happens so quickly in this episode is what doesn't work for me. So, yeah, I I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. Anyways, Um, I, I also love that. In this episode, let's move on to another really good thing, is that the way that Archer, right at the end, when they work together and they're sh- they're shaking hands and they sit down, 
to talk. Is that in this episode too, or am I getting confused as to which one? When the Andorian and the Tellarite and Archer all sit down, is that at the end of the second one, or is that the end of? They're this all I, they're standing. I don't remember if they sit down. It was the the end of this one though, when they um I don't remember them sitting, but you could be right. Where the Tellarite and and then says it comes to, out the window. Maybe it's at the end of the second one. I'm getting confused because we watched all three of them pretty quickly here, but it's tough when you I do a trilogy that was the like third that. Because they said it looks like we have something more to talk about. Than Why just wait till we disputes. get to Babel? What? Why wait until we get to Babel? We can start now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and because we have more to talk about than trade disputes, right? Um, because now we now they know for a fact that Romulans are trying to break this up. It's not at the end of this episode, though. Maybe actually. it's the second episode, and I'm getting confused. That's my fault. I think you're right um, because. In this episode, we actually see... It had to be the end of the second episode. Because in this episode, we see that the Romulans are talking about how this didn't work. And it actually made... It did the exact opposite. Mm. Yeah, okay, yeah. You're probably They're right. They're stronger the now than they were yeah. before. Yeah. This is... It, it is a good trilogy. I don't hate the trilogy. It's good. But, yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, that happens at the end of two. Because at the end of two, they know it was Romulans and it was some holographic projections. Mm-hmm. So can can we talk about the ship, the, the the Marauder itself? The little fly, it's like a oh, gnat. yeah, it looks like a little bug. And then when they when they knock out, well, first off, now that they know how to do it, like that thing comes in looking like a Tellarite ship and gets shot once, and it's no longer holographic. Well, like, I, I assumed I associated that with the repairs weren't quite complete, and they just like like the ship's been damaged. Right, True. We've, we've seen it a couple times already, where it's just sitting there. So I just, they just, it wasn't repaired properly. They're on the run. Yeah, but it happened and, in the second one too. I, I don't know. I'm okay with that, though. No, I'm okay with it. I just, I just found it funny. Oh, okay. Like it's it, once you know where to shoot, it's like the worst cloaking device ever. Right. <laughs> so any ship you're questioning, you just shoot that spot. Now, oh, it disappeared. It's that. It's it's the Marauder. So you think that's but, the first um, spot they shoot on any ship they come across from now on? Yeah, just keep shooting at that spot and hope it's not, you know, a person. Well, it's not the Romulans. <laughs> yeah, well, oops, the ship blew up. Um, <laughs> but I love that it looked like this little bug, and that when it projected, it projected these massive ships in comparison mm-hmm. size. Yeah. Yeah, you I know. thought that was really cool as well. Like, it was a very original take, right? And I, I've always assumed, the reason why I didn't have a problem with this is that the the holographic technology would be, like, an opposite of the cloaking technology. Like it, in my association, the technology is the same stuff, just, I don't know, reverse polarized or whatever. And that's why they're able to make a holographic ship. They use right, the same right. technology. Cause to me, I don't like cloaking is just, they changing it so that you can't see the ship and you can't sense the ship. It doesn't like put it in like a subspace or anything like that. The ship yeah, is still there. I don't even there. know if it has to be reversed. I mean, the cloaking device could simply be the same thing, and they're just projecting the opposite view. So yeah, something like that. I've always, but again, in my head, Ken, I've always associated that it's the same technology adjusted in order to just create backwards. the cloaking and the yeah. The I mean, no, it makes perfect sense that they would have something similar to this, mm-hmm. and because that you can shoot it in one spot, it doesn't work anymore. Now they go to cloaking. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So they gave up on this and they did more cloaking. Well, but we also saw the ship cloak in, in Dead Stop. Or, no, Minefield, did, sorry, Minefield. We did, but, you, I, you know, the drone thing didn't work for them. Plus, they can't do the drone thing anymore because they don't have a, an Enar. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, unfortunately, so we, we really should talk about that at the end of, of episode three, which is a, it's a sad, sad scene, actually. I mean, the sister comes with them. They First, they, they're making them walk in circles, which was cool because... It's Archer who figures out, wait, we've been here already. Yeah. And it was this, it was because they got to the part where the little worms came through. Yeah. And, um, however, once she does get back and she is able to break in and talk to her brother, she's there at the moment of his death. Mm-hmm. And that's not easy to go through, but she says at least, this is always a weird line, at least, you know, he wasn't alone for his death. But if you weren't there destroying that, maybe he doesn't die just yet. Yeah. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, and it is a sad scene, and it didn't bother me. Um, but again, being introduced to this character just now, it didn't bother me as much because we weren't connected to them as much. No, I don't think it was a heavy, heavy scene. Yeah. Because, like you said, yeah, we don't really know them. It's not, it's not someone I have an attachment to. Yeah, it's just, just the scene of a sister, you know, talking 
to their brother at the moment the brother is killed, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I did like it. I thought it was really um I know that the show was in two thousand four, but it was very late eighties, early nineties with like the different colors flying across their faces as they were inside the hood, you know? Which also doesn't work, because if you look at the mask that pulls down, and if you look at the close-ups of their face, like, they've got... It's it's dark with just light shining. Like, it's it's clearly a um, light-tight... Like, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, a, you, you can't get light into that image. but right, Like but, a dark box. A dark box. But the thing that pulls down over their face wouldn't make that happen, because it's just, it's just something that goes in front of them. So that's a discontinuity there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I had a problem with the Enar um, projecting and confusing them. Like, that's like Telosian level, you know, relevant to what recently happened on Star Trek Discovery. That's like Telosian level deception with their telepathic powers, right? And they're sitting here saying, we won't read your mind, but we got no problem screwing with it. (laughs) That's that. Yes. I don't know, like, to me, like, where they're all like, we're a pacifistic society, we'll only read your mind if you have your permission to do it, but you know what, we have no problem screwing with you to prevent you so, from So, okay, so you're not, you're not against the fact that they can do it, right? I am, as well, because that's, again, that's like Telosian-level telepathy now, like, these But I think are, that's what they were going for. Yeah, so, I so mean... I wasn't really, I wasn't really that upset about it, because I saw it as, we won't read your mind... But we're going to stop you from doing something that you're going to kill somebody. <sighs> that's the excuse she gave. I mean, that's literally the excuse she gave. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. That's fine. <laughs> that's, we're, yeah. we're individual people, and you can't screw with my thoughts, because I said so. I'm not Enar. You're not Enar. <laughs> you're never getting out of your basement today, though. Yeah. You're just going to keep, gonna keep looking me here. Stairs. Leave me alone, you Tellerate pig. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. I don't think I have anything else to add to the uh, episodes. You got anything? No, I mean, look, I'm just, I like the fact that we got, that we, we really got the very, very start of the of the Federation here. Yes. I know we've been building for that throughout all the series, but this is like the defining moment where groups that, like the Tellarites and the Andorians, who wouldn't, have not worked together in over a thousand years, have now settled their differences because someone thought it was better to try and get them to hate each other, and it backfired. Yes. And that someone is Romulans. Yeah. And to me, that's very Star Trek, because Star Trek is all about communication and talking about stuff. So right. to me, that really, really worked. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. So is that your final thoughts for this episode? Yeah, I love them. They are good. Um, I know I complained about a few things, but I think that they are very, very good. And uh, they are great episodes, and... And everybody should go and watch them. And it's there's some cool world building. I don't like every single thing in the episodes, but there is some really cool world building in them. And uh, they're very enjoyable. And it's a part of the wonderful, wonderful season four. Yes, I agree. Um, I, I really enjoy them a lot. It, obviously, not everything's perfect. I don't think everything has to be perfect in order for a show to be good, though. So, you know, that's just my take on things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been fun talking about the Babel one arc in enterprise season four today, but this isn't the only thing we've been discussing on the network. Here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Gray. You're right. There's, there's definitely something that we need to look at with the death. And although it's very sad, but like you're saying, Richard, like the opposite of enjoy the time that you have while you're alive with them. And that's what, and again, as you said, Richard, like if you don't forget them, they really will still be a part of you in your life and their influence is going to be just as real, you know, from your memory of them. Literary treks. And so all of that's coming to and then you get all good things going through your brain of, you know, oh, yes, Worf and Troy. And I've always loved them together. And then when I started this reading this book, it brought out this emotion of, what? No, this cannot happen. I don't even want to see Deanna with Worf at all. And I was so surprised by that because I've always liked Troy and Worf together. Melodic treks. So somebody that conceivably is into the modern jazz quartet, which is like having some fine wine, sometimes wants a piece of cake and Slim and Slam, that would be cake. <laughs> 
and these sort of not really jump blues or R&B, but saxophone players that played modern jazz that were in this bluesier, more soul style. There were people around then like Illinois Jaquette and Arnett Cobb, Jimmy Forrest, Gene Ammons. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. It's the time is not variable, so it's not going to matter if time is the constant there. So when he says on my mark, that means here it is. That's where I need to go. So send me there. Yeah, Mic okay. Drop. I'll buy it, but I still don't believe it. <laughs> Mic drop. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button in the Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episode as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. But watch out for those crazy warm worms that might be in your Apple. Not good. Not good. Third-degree burns over half my body. Yeah, you eat that. That's going to, Taco Tuesday is like a nice thing compared to that. <laughs> if you're not an Apple user, you could, you, we got you covered as well. Uh, you can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps. And if you have an ENR, they can telepathically stream the episode into your mind. Uh, but you could also download the MP3 from our website or grab the RSS link as well. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. Where did Chris come up with that idea for the Babel Conference, I wonder? I don't know. It's such a good one. It's a great idea. I love that word, Babel. Yeah. If only we could get it into Star Trek. Somehow. (laughs) If you'd like to send us email, you can use the form on our website, at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Warp 5. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Patrick? Yes? Where can people find you when you're not eating worms? Oh, man. Especially the killer ones, it's hard to find me not doing that. Uh, But you can find me on Twitter at magicdrop5. It is... No spaces, the five is a digit. You can also find me popping up in the Babel Conference from time to time. I've had a little bit more time on my hands, so I've been checking that out a little more. And you can find me over at the edge with my good friend Amy Nelson. Brandon. Yes? Where can people find you when you're not just disagreeing with everything I say and trying to be a complete pain in my butt? You mean I gotta be on this podcast with you for the next five years? Well, if you don't like it, you can just go to another podcast. Fine, I will. I'm calling Bill and Dan right now. Fine, be like that. Well, you can find me on Twitter, at Trek, uh, not at Trek FM, at Brandon Metella. You can find me here on the network with Melodic Treks, which is all about the music of Star Trek. You can find me on the Fandom Podcast Network with my friends Chris and Tom, and we talk about Alfred Hitchcock films. And Zach Moore of Standard Orbit and myself, we have a show called Franchise Fatigue, where we go over films and sequels and remakes, all in a franchise, and then we talk about them one at a time, and it's a lot of fun. That's over on the United Federation of Podcasts on Twitter, at UFP Earth. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trek.fm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek.fm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month, and we really appreciate your support. And we appreciate the support you give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm, including our new perk. At $10,000 a month, we send you all the bacon that you can eat. At this time, we'd like to thank our wonderful associate producers who make everything wonderful and pleasant and make it easy for us to talk to each other. Norman C. Lau, Floyd Dorsey, Mike Morrison, Tim Cooper, Justin Ozer, Mark Flessa, Chris Chabuzio, and Jim McMahon. Thank you so very much. We really appreciate it. Well, next time, 
boomers. I'm putting it in print here, so we have to do it. We're, we're doing it. We're gonna be... I'll do it. I just don't know the words. No, no, no. Next time, boomers, we're going to be doing another movie night. Oh, yes. So awesome. I'm putting it in print. We're committed. It's committed. We have to do it. Committed, just Son like Patrick. Son of Frankenstein. Son of Frankenstein. We're going to finish off our Frankenstein trilogy, because I want to get to some of the other movies. I want to get this one done. we got The Exorcist coming up. I want to do that one. So. Yeah, I want to get to the point where we do all of them so we can start adding in our own movie nights. Yeah, like... Uh, like House on Haunted Hill. Thelma and Louise? We could do that. That's a good movie. So is House on Haunted Hill, which I heard you've never seen. Um, no, I haven't. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Warp 5. And remember, you can't be afraid of the wind. $10,000 a month, I think we can. For how much? 10000 that's a lot of money. Oh, I, I did. I wasn't paying attention to you. Like usual. I thought you said $10 a month. 10000 No, jeez, what are you, crazy? Lunatic. <laughs>